Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and it seems you have fallen way down the True Tunes rabbit hole. Maybe you've come to the podcast recently and are just working your way back to our first few shows, or who knows, maybe someone sent you a direct link to one of these early outings. All I can say is welcome, thanks for stopping by, Bruce and I are glad you're here, but have some mercy on us please. I'll be honest, when Bruce and I went back and listened to these early episodes, well, let's just say it clearly took us a handful of shows for us to get our feet under us. We knew what we wanted to do, but the way to get there took some tweaking. But the interviews are still valuable, and it's probably worthwhile to have these available as documents of our evolution, so we've trimmed them up a bit, tried to keep them timely, and inserted these little disclaimer introductions to each one. You might still hear a few dated references, some wonky edits, and some rough fades, so have some mercy on us as you dig these earliest episodes out of cold storage and enjoy. Thanks for listening. Oh, and if somehow this is your first exposure to our show, please check out any of our more recent episodes for a more accurate representation. Okay, Bruce, roll it. This is Lori Chaffer. And Don Chaffer of and- Waterdeep. Do we should say that together? Yeah. Do we okay, say water? Go ahead. This is Lori Chaffer. To take three. This is Lori Chaffer. And Don Chaffer of, of Waterdeep. Water Deep. Oh, and man. You're listening to the True Tunes podcast. That's what you're listening to. Right now. Welcome back to the True Tunes podcast and part two of our conversation with Don and Lori Chaffer, also known as Waterdeep. For the first part of our conversation, we jumped in the Wayback Machine and did something much better than a nostalgia trip, I think. As a result, we got a lot of context for where these two songwriters, artists, and producers came from, and how they transitioned from Waterdeep taking the bulk of their time and providing the bulk of their support to their current reality, in which they both work as producers and writers for other artists, Don writing music for television shows and composing musicals, and, well, if you missed it, you should pause this and go listen to that episode first and then come back. We'll wait for you. On this episode, we're going to talk about and listen to their new album, Tandem. In fact, our trusty True Tunes jukebox, which always seems to have a mind of its own, is sitting here whirring and purring and just itching to play songs from Tandem throughout this entire conversation. So, instead of a separate jukebox feature, we spotlight Tandem tracks that you have heard on our weekly Spotify mix and a lot more. It's a fantastic record, and I'm not even bashful to say that we're hoping to turn you newcomers into fans. We'd love for you to head over to their site and buy a copy. In this hour or so, we're going to hit on some stuff that I think has been talked about far too little in creative spaces. We hit that third rail of misogyny and sexism and what it will take for women to realize their potential as artists, songwriters, and producers. Women, this is for you. But guys, this is definitely for us too. Adults have to figure out how to function in this world in balance, in partnership, in tandem. Not merely acting and reacting all the time. The Chaffers have both articulated and lived out a vision for creative and professional tandemness that is quite beautiful. So, once again, though we live in the same town and certainly had hoped to conduct this conversation in person, due to the pandemic, we did it over our computers, the Chaffers in their home studio, and me and mine. So, with no further ado, here is part two of my conversation with two of my heroes, Lori and Don Chaffer, aka Waterdeep. Roll the tape, Bruce. Thank you. 
I will go back to this then. You said that Waterdeep doesn't pay the bills. Do you feel that it does fill a role in the overall brand and awareness? Your awareness in the marketplace is out there. The big benefit to me with Waterdeep Records has always been when I'm talking to a production client, like an artist that might use us, I must always include some of those songs because they're the clearest delivery on the promise as it were of what our our production minds can think of so it's like if it were nothing other than a production reel it would be great but it's also all the other things you know or a songwriter reel or whatever there's something a little bit uh tragic about this interview so far i apologize Um, (laughs) i think that at the on the other hand i think there was something tragic about the career and and it's in two different ways one like so we signed a deal in 1999 so right at the zenith right we were on the front end of the internet thing we had like discussion boards which were a big thing back then because you got to remember there's no social media so we had a like a rabid fan base that set up their own they were called the swim team <laughs> and they would oh, they would right. set up their own swim meets like <laughs> at at shows you know and get together and we had a couple different marriages come out of that little community and things like that sweet, it was a very sweet community. yeah it was really great and then um we we came along at a time economically when things were shifting the other thing was and i, I think this is interesting because i really love your uh the torch you carry for this world of music that was always my heroes. Because apart from Dylan, Simon, and uh, the Beatles, I, I was, it was like Mark Hurd, Larry Norman, Adam again, Daniel Amos. So um, those, those bands were my thing, you know? And I poured over uh, every lyric of Mark Hurd records and, st- and loved Larry Norman starting in high school. And I remember feeling as a kid and just to clarify the kind of aspiration that I felt as a kid, I was like, Oh, it's too bad that these people are stuck in this subculture because these people are genius Mm. and I wish the whole world could hear them. But for some reason, and I think I fell for the diagnosis at the time that it was a function of the culture wars, right? That, that there was something hostile to the quote unquote Christianness of these artists in the mainstream that I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it was real. Obviously you can encounter those things. Um, but I also just feel like it was more like the subtle pressure from within the community to yeah. stay in the community. And right. I yeah, remember I saying, so there's something about the way we told this water deep story that I, I feel uh, is at odds with my own perception at the time, which I remember being, Oh, 
they were the last generation to sort of die on that altar where you have to stay in the Christian marketplace even though you totally could have competed in the mainstream. What I realized when we get down from the ladder and we were painting the wrong house is we were the last generation <laughs> that had to do that. That's really, there really true. Yeah. Right? And I mean, I, and so right. that's the that's the part that's both painful, but I think ultimately true. Yeah. And I have heard multiple Christians who are artists in the mainstream privately, more more privately than publicly probably, but cite us as a, as a reference point where they were like, oh, this could be done. Well, I could... Mm-hmm. As a Christian kid, I can I look at this band and I'm like, okay, I could do real art and be a Christian, um, which you know now hopefully is like now it's at a point where it's just a non consideration. Right. Be whoever you want to be and go make art. What, what I don't understand and that you know it's a lot like the in the early days of you know Elvis supposedly breaking the Imperial records Imperial's record over his knee and saying. What are these guys doing? Either you do, do gospel or you do rock and roll, right? It's like there was this dichotomy that those people felt. Jimmy Swaggart on the on the gospel side and his cousin Jerry Lee on the rock side, right? So rock and roll side. Anyway, I'm just saying that all those f- forces, we were at the nexus, at the intersection of a, a bunch of weird cultural and economic forces and religious. And, and it's a weird place to narrate from because in the, in the meantime we're getting married we're, we have friendships we have losses we have all the normal life stuff and it's it, it's hard to kind of figure out what what to blame things on <laughs> right 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 go find John And the other thing is that it's it's there's been lots of lots of us who have pointed at that negative stuff like Lost Dogs should should be the right on the cover of every issue of No Depression magazine like the, mm-hmm. like right. they should be revered in the Americana world and they're ignored. Um, Terry Taylor should be up there with all of the great songwriters. But what I really hope that these conversations will inspire with the younger generation is that what we also got as a result of things like Cornerstone Festival was a sense of community that a lot of the younger artists are missing out on mm-hmm. by not having that tent that we were able to gather under. Yeah. Yeah. And so the reason I think to some extent that the 77s and some of those bands had the opportunity to impact us for as long as they did was because we had sort of an alternative community that wouldn't a lot of those bands wouldn't have had that longevity if there hadn't been a a subculture 
around them hmm. because the mainstream market just simply goes by what's a hit and if you don't have a hit within a certain amount of time you don't have the oxygen to survive right. and so you go away yeah. but any niche needs time to coalesce a, a community around it and we had the benefit of that with things like cornerstone and all true tunes was was trying to keep that community coalesced throughout the year until we could all gather back yeah. together sure. again and so groups like yours had the opportunity to gestate over time and evolve and become more and more interesting whereas if it was strictly based on mm -hmm. did you have a hit oh right you might not have had that opportunity um, we did that and we didn't have a hit <laughs> like I mean uh, right <laughs> right I, and I and I think right. you're totally right we I would say that culture shifted even before that where and you hear this all the time from you two to Joni Mitchell that it's you, they they wouldn't have survived in today's climate today's right. label yeah, climate right. and today right. and by today's I mean as far back as like the 80s <laughs> right. maybe right. 90s but uh, yeah new acts had to deliver within record one or two not three or three four, four yeah. so right so now the challenge is I think uh, for us to try to coalesce enough of a community that's talking and relating that our young artists can find the type of tribe that you guys were able to find hmm. that swim club kind of a thing mm -hmm. and that's a real challenge yeah. i've been thinking about walking for a living i've been thinking about hitting the open road it wouldn't be a trick i cover walking stick and tread the fields to see the farmer's soul Myself a gilded pair of sneakers, walk like butter, shine like gold. And I would really glow, and everyone would know they talk about me after I went cold. There are so few women serving as producers. First, why do you suppose that is? And second, what is it that you were able to do that has made you, uh, has given you the skills uh, to be able to serve in that role? Uh, and what are things that then young women who are really interested in that should be investing in themselves so that they could follow in your footsteps? I think anything that's a man's world is hard to break in for a woman and for any kind of minority. I, I think it takes learn. It's, I've noticed that I like learning from women about production, even though I'm married to a guy who's really good at it. Um, and I, who teaches her all the time. I mean, I just, I'm constantly teaching <laughs> giving and teaching. Giving her notes. Just whether she's wrong. listening or not. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I will, and I will say it is very handy to be married to a guy who's really good at production because I do I do ask him a lot of questions and I do um, get a lot of help from him um, especially on the technical side because uh, I'm producing and engineering a lot of the time and engineering is definitely a little bit more tricky for me I think because we made so many albums together and over time I started taking the reins on my songs a lot more it was a very gradual thing and then I also kind of watched Dawn produce other people. I think the turning point for me was I, I did three songs in the last 
two years just completely on my own and release them independently. Um, and, and having to finish the whole process, I mean, he mixed them and did a lot of work on them actually, but that was a very helpful practice for me to just be on the hook to do them all myself. And it also made me appreciate the things that Donna had brought to the table. It's like I wanted to take control. And then when I finally did, I realized, oh, this is what taking control is. It's a lot of work and it's, there are things I don't know how to do and I don't do well and I need help. And so it made me appreciate other people's input. Um, and then I just had, it randomly just had people ask me to produce a song here and an EP there. I've, and I've not done a ton of production for other people, but um, I'm on my third project now and I, I do enjoy it. Um, and I'm still learning, of course, a ton, but I enjoy being able to help other people, other women in particular, find their voice. I feel like it's easy, especially in the Christian, if you're anywhere in the Christian marketplace, it's easy for women who have been brought up in a church culture where they're told to be quiet and to not lead. Um, there are still churches out there that are, that are that way, and so that pours into your art making and so it's nice to be able to draw that stuff out and say no you you got this we'll find it funny after some talk and a good cry broken hearts no money let the fire burn till we're good and tired dream to all the truth started off on the piano and um she has a naturally good ear like a pretty phenomenally good ear so there's a that's a gift right like you you have a good ear or you don't kind of a thing uh she has a great ear too she started off on piano and has a concept of harmonic structure that comes from the keyboard that's sort of invaluable three her ability to specifically sing harmonies and also hear harmonies by which i mean there's a melody line, you add another line, is pretty remarkable. I mean, plenty of people can sing harmony, but she's just always aware of where she is relative to the chord, uh, which is kind of amazing. Some of that comes, though, from that piano training. Four, she added then guitar to her bag of you know, skills. And then I would say five, she has a really strong intuition for how things should sound and is able to drive toward an imaginary point in her gut or which i think it is more gut than it is mind or something she's able to like not uh, try this no try that no try that there it is and then push toward it um and i think that's one of the things that makes her 
really good. So it's that. I feel like we I, just did a commercial for me. Yeah, I just think there's a that's a little suite of skills that you should think about. Uh, if you don't have those things as your talents, fine. There are other things you can have. But I think it's always interesting to me to like. I'm always intrigued to look at other people and what their strengths are, you know, and w- what it is that makes them good. You're the trouble you're in. You're the color of your skin. They got faith and you got doubt. You fought a war they forgot about. They say don't make a scene and don't cause a fuss. Just go take your seat at the back of the bus. But they don't even know your name. You know you're a burning flame. You don't have to play their game. Cause they don't even know your name. Know your name. Know your name. Know your name. Tell me about this album, Tandem. The concept behind it, what were, what made you say, okay, it's time to do another Waterdeep album, and then how did this become that album? We were playing at this place called Laity Lodge, and we were rehearsing in one of the rooms there, which was this vaulted ceiling, and so it's just a naturally good-sounding room, just two guitars and singing, and it was like, uh, we both kind of acknowledged, hey, we sound good, don't we? <laughs> Right? Like, there was this, it was like... We don't play together a ton. And so it was a rare instance. Yeah, we don't play out a a lot. And uh, it was this thing of like, you know, maybe we should do this. This thing that is uniquely us playing acoustic guitars, singing together. Because we inevitably in the live shows that we've played recently, we've, we've had to like sort of cover our own songs and find a simple part on the guitars and simple part on the vocals that is executable. And those versions always felt really compelling. So it was like, what if we start there and we say, we're going to pick songs and arrange songs that feel really good and emphasize the singing together part, emphasize the acoustic part, and just see what that does. And it was like, I think we both felt like, yeah, that seems like a, that seems like a really good thing. And then one other component that arose was because of the sort of dynamics between us and me having produced a ton, there was a tendency to our fights in the studio would emerge around me being too controlling, you know? But also, the flip side of that was me feeling like she was checked out a little bit when it came to giving me feedback. So we said, well, let's fix both those things. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to listen to you when you tell me what you think we should do, but you have to engage enough to really have an opinion about that as opposed to just assuming that you don't need to bother because I'm going to have some sort of ambition engine that will drive us to the finish line regardless so the short version of that would be (laughs) i think i finally produced his songs more on this record and he produced mine i produced more of his songs he produced more of mine it really was more of a we decided from the beginning let's actually be engaged both of us all the way through on each other's material in every way you know. And I think also using as an engine for the starting point what we do together in a kind of a rehearsal room setting. Yeah. Yeah. Saying like, let's assume we don't have, you know, uh, a drum machine or a, or a band to fall back on and we've just got to make this thing happen, the two of us. I mean, the production is not limited to that by any stretch, but yeah. it's, but that's where it started. 
remember when you first were talking about it through like the beginnings of the Kickstarter or something, I was picturing it being two people with acoustic guitars right. just strumming songs. Right. But then this is a much more produced mm -hmm. and lush sounding record than that. But it's still the back and forth, and I was thinking about this, even the title Tandem, like whether it's a bicycle, there's two people on the bike, but is one person pedaling more and the other person just kind of going with it? Who steers? I really, and I'm listen, I've listened to it over and over again, and I, I was trying to think about this dynamic and the fact that I've been in a band with my wife for so long, mm, yeah. and I know that it was predominantly my band, and then she came in as a backup vocalist and then took over more and more, and I know that tension mm. of, of two people with ideas and... Um, do you feel like the collaboration is um, has hit a different place? Is the, are the stakes different, or did you enjoy it? Did it work? Do you feel like it was uh, successful as you listen back to it? Yeah, I I do think. Well, I will say it started off pretty rocky. It took us a while to get to a place where we knew what it looked like to work together quite this way, because like I said, one or the other of us would check out. I, and typically, I probably did check out more on his songs in the past. And then typically, she wished I would check out more on her songs. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> true. That's probably true. But I think we it took a, a probably a good month, honestly, of really fighting it out. I remember that at the beginning, thinking, what have we done? <laughs> but then there was a point where it switched over, and we finally kind of got our groove and realized, okay, this is what it means to actually both be very engaged and very opinionated with each other's what each other is doing and and super you know magnifying glass e <laughs> a little bit on right. each other's songs uh, not in a scientific way but in a like gut feeling way like so i do feel like it worked i i feel like it was i like what we ended up with honestly me too Don, what would you say, not necessarily favorite, but if if somebody had to hear one of Lori's songs on this record to give them an entry point, what would you recommend that would be and describe it and why? Okay, so I have sort of two answers to that. I, I think if somebody were to tell me, you know, what should I listen to of Lori's, I would ask some questions to find out <laughs> oh. where they were at. But what I will say, just sort of like on the kind of pound for pound, you know, if, if you think of it as a boxer, this is like a slugger to me. It's like it just lands 
at every point it's supposed to land within its own parameters. I think the song We Made It Out is mm-hmm. an incredible song. It's also a little, though, unusual for Lori. It's a narrative sort of folk song kind of vibe. I mean, it's got a ton of soul and has her sort of uh, atmospheric uh, lilt to it. But it's just so honest and it's a it's about friends who drift apart kind of a thing uh not kind of a thing that's exactly what it's about uh so um there's that one i would also say though the the thing that i think Lori's always been able to do she's always been capable musically to kind of take you on this crazy adventure where if you were to look back you'd like i can't believe we were there when we started this thing and we wound up here leonard bernstein once said that the great thing about beethoven was he always knew what the next right note was i feel like Lori has that and I think with the one that typifies that really well on this record would be One O'Clock. It just has this sort of, it goes through so many different sort of movements, but they all make emotional sense. It's One O'Clock, all could be well, but no one can ever Okay, Lori, same question. If, if somebody came to you and said... Yeah, I had to. I always have to look up titles because it's really sad how quickly I forget titles. But um, there's two of them, actually, for me. Uh, the thought of you showing up here for me is both musically... I just love those melodies. I just love the sounds that we captured on that song. And then just the purity of the emotion of it. It feels very... Um, it just feels so honest. I, I think for similar reasons that you stated for... Uh, um, we made it out. We made it out. So that one I really, really loved. I'm not planning on calling you anytime soon. I'm a whale who knows how to avoid a harpoon I'm not planning to answer that question you asked I'm a lone vigilante and I won't be unmasked And I'm not trying to get I'm a cop on the beat and I don't wanna end up dead And if I don't engage then no one can say that I did anything really all that bad today Everything's fine until everything's not A standoff's a standoff till you fire a shot Talk maybe 
cheap but it buys you a lot until you face what you fear and I can do boredom and I can do pain and I can do standing in lightning and rain but I'll tell you what really just drives me insane is the thought of you showing up here oh the thought of you showing up And then um, the last one on the record. Uh, half of my half time. Half of my time. <laughs> um, that one is just kind of an epic poem uh, yeah. and is just gigantic. And it's it feels like a Dylan song to me in a lot of ways. And uh, I don't know what else to say about it other than it just feels bigger than bigger. I will also say that song to me was sort of the one... I think that might have been the song at Laity Lodge that we were rehearsing. When oh, it we, was. We thought, it was. That oh, was wow, the... this sounds really good. We sound good together. And then we used it in the video, of yeah. the Kickstarter video. And it, it always just had this yeah, like, right in the... the sweet spot for both of our voices and the way the harmonies yeah. went together it felt on the chorus in particular. So Yeah, that was the kind of foundation mm-hmm. of the record. So I have a special affinity for that mm-hmm. one. I've spent half of my time Tilting at windmills, baking up pies, making up lies, gaping like regular people do over the freaks at the fair. And half of my time pounding on all those who wouldn't go forward. Now don't tell me your words any better than Absalom's taken in war. By the tangles of his flowing hair Oh Absalom, Absalom, son of my heart Your foolishness went out and tore you apart Like lions who lounge in the blood of their prey Your pride was roaring and you were carried away And by now I just figured I'd have perished in battle My armor was thin My feet barely shod, my hands both too bloody Were tried and found wanting, unworthy to lay Even one brick for the house of my God Ticking with whatever's left of our prime Oh, imagine that you had to do what you do with just half of the time We'll be right back after a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We're back with this cold storage episode from the True Tunes podcast. But even if it's only in my mind, I'm not gonna be this time even if it's only in my heart this is not gonna tear me apart cause I don't care how familiar it feels time travel isn't real this is now and I am me moving from this point forward what are your 
next plans? Do you, do you even have anything kind of on the horizon musically, either solo things or together or Waterdeep or anything else? Um, I think lately we both have been working on other projects. Like um, I'm working on some production stuff for a, an artist and Don is doing a lot of, well, you can answer this, a lot of writing actually. Mm-hmm. So hit it, Don. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually writing for you know, Randall Goodgame has a kids uh-huh. thing called Slugs and Bugs and they have a, television show actually so I always jokingly say time to work on the Christian puppets uh, so <laughs> it's uh, because it's supposed to be spinal tap and puppets. that's right that's right <laughs> yeah and that's actually been really fun that's been learning to write in the television format which is a new thing for me because I've done a lot of music theater work or, or theater work and um, so right now I've been working on slugs and bugs episodes I, I wrote a new I would call it a play with music that was on a commission from a theater out of Knoxville and that one's about this brother-sister band that uh, it's the sister's first show after the brother has passed away. And, and as she's doing the set and the set, if this whole thing comes off, the set is actually comprised of songs by other artists that we just in the fictional world is by this band, <laughs> hmm. which is kind of a fun way to do a quote unquote musical. So that's why I'm saying it's a play with music. Cause I think there's one, we'll write one song and, and then there might be a Waterdeep song in there. But anyway, so then there's that one. And then I've actually started work on, I did a podcast with uh, uh, JJ and Dave Heller recently. And it was kind of, it's called uh, Instrumental is the name of their podcast. And it's, it does this sort of reverse life story model where they, you know, this is where this person is now. But if they hadn't done this, then they wouldn't be there. And then if they hadn't done this and they kind of do it in acts and it's a pretty clever structure. I, I partly like it, I realized after the fact, because that's how we figure out our lives. We go, oh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if not for this, and I wouldn't be, been there if not for that, right? It's the only way you can, right? Because right? you're writing it as you go. At any rate, um, yeah. after doing that, though, and talking about some of the stuff that I mentioned earlier about my parents' deaths and things like that, I've had this memoir in my back pocket for about 10 years working on it kind of not at all for several months or a year even and then get back out and mess with it and lately I've been really kind of going to town on it so I'm probably gonna I think I talked to you about this looking for a publisher maybe and so I've been working on that and I'm you know I'm at about 20,000 words now on that so that's more than just a little bit started and then and then there's I'm sure we'll squeeze in a couple other musicals that are already in development yeah one about the uh, suffrage story basically That was supposed to be happening in August. Yeah. Uh, but Because that's the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment is this August. Yeah. Right. So, And I'm sure we'll keep doing our own music here and there, squeezing it into the cracks. We looked out over the snow There's never enough
So last thing, and either one of you or both of you can comment on this, we kind of have settled on this theme for this show of listen to better music and listen to music better. I feel that both of those things are not only important in and of themselves, but that they actually kind of help make us better people. Mm. That when we're when we're learning how to listen to better music and we're learning how to listen to music better, we're actually learning how to listen to people better and we're le- learning how to be better people. So any examples of a person or an experience in your life that inspired you to listen to music better that you can think of that would be something that listeners might take some spark of forward and help them be inspired to listen to music better in their life? It's hmm. a really interesting question. I mean, I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but I, we have a friend in Kansas City named Carrie Womack. I feel like from time to time she will send me things and a lot of times it's classical music she'll send me songs that she has listened to and poured over and I realize over time that she's one of the most attentive listeners I know and it has it has actually had an effect on me I realize there are these quiet moments if I would just slow down I, I don't listen to a lot of music right now and I have recently been thinking this, that that's maybe uh, something I need to <laughs> change about my life. Because I do, it does, it does slow me down and gets me out of my head. And I need that in my life. I went through a long phase where I was also not listening to much music in my life. I think it's not uncommon with people as they press into their 40s in particular, maybe late 30s even. You, there is more talk, you know, more podcasts and things um which are great podcasts are awesome this one's the best of all uh we put a lot of music yeah yeah yeah, that's true (laughs) which i really enjoyed by the way um i would say i mean i think i'll go with so my kind of best friend from grade school aaron altman is a architect in dc and he is a faithful music listener and he does a thing where he emails all of his friends uh once a year and says it's my suggest a song playlist for the year so send me one song and he gets, I don't know, 30 or 40 people that send him one song and he creates this playlist and listens to it all year in addition to other things. But, um, and every time we get together, um, and mercifully, he has a, a gig down in Birmingham doing a building for his firm. And so he comes through Nashville and stays with us for a day, usually like working a day so we get to see each other fairly often. But he's always playing me stuff that he's listened to and discovered so I've recently been like flamed back to life and we just went on a vacation to Colorado and I listened the entire, I drove the whole way back the second day. It was like, or the first day it was 11 hours and I listened to music the whole time. Uh, I will say, I'll just mention one song that's really gotten me. And because I, all, all my musical life, I'll occasionally fixate on a song, right? Like there was a Sheryl Crow song, I shall believe. I just remember listening to over and over and over and over again. Hmm. This one's by a band called Darling Side. Have you heard these guys? Yeah. And the yeah. song is called Hold Your Head Up High. And ah, it's just, mm. it's four part harmonies. These guys, kind of Fleet Foxes esque, you know? Mm-hmm. Man, it's just beautiful. And the lyrics are deserving. I love getting the feels, mm. just submerging myself in a dunk tank of heavy emotions. <laughs> uh, so, he does. Um, <laughs> yeah. And actually, I will say too, personality wise, you know, I'm a. Number, I'm a four on the Enneagram and an INFP on Myers-Briggs. And uh, one of the things that a friend of mine was talking to me about Myers-Briggs is 
the IF part of the of the Myers Briggs intuitive feeler that it's recharging from my personality type to have moments where you're doing that you're feeling and being intuitive and I once I had permission to do that it was like a gold mine for my Psyche. mental health so to speak yeah Rise it up, it's fine to rain The time will come again And misery's no rest for weary gentlemen See that human kindness you Like all the rest of you The scratches on the album that you're singing to Hold your head up I think that a lot of people, who, a lot of creative people, when we're creating music and throwing it out into pixels and hoping people will respond, we're not listening and we're not mm-hmm. taking things in. We're not reading. We're not, we're not absorbing beautiful stuff. When we were listening to music as kids, it was it was expensive music. Like it was like yes. the stuff that made it through the filter, yeah, the stuff that made it over the wall was like you know like your stuff you're talking about, Dylan and you two and right. Chrissy mm-hmm. Hine. I mean, it was expensive music and it it was valuable. And I don't know and, if you mean it this way. It was both expensive to make and it was expensive to buy. Right. And so if you that's what I mean, okay. it had value. Yeah, and if yeah, you invested yeah, yeah. in it, then you made yourself like track eight that you didn't like exactly at first. Yeah. right uh, that's why i want to kind of raise that flag and and hopefully inspire a, a deeper level and, of appreciation for stuff yeah i'm and i would add to that because as you said that I, I realized one of the ways i have been starting to listen more to music is i'm realizing we we had a more contextualized listening experience back in the day for whatever reason and i feel like when i have found that now like even watching documentaries about hip-hop or rap there was a whole era in which i missed huge chunks of music because i was in this southwest missouri contextualized music listening experience and now i can go back and get different contexts you know i can get the hip-hop context the rap context the and I have found that my appreciation for those kinds of music that I didn't grow up listening to is expanding because I'm now getting the backstory. And I do think that's another way to grow in a depth of listening experience. Yeah. Uh, our kids are big music fans and it's really fun. They have two totally different approaches to it. Our daughter is almost like a forensic anthropologist she or is. something. She's, she's kind of remarkable and she's like, she's huge into Taylor Swift and Queen for example those are her two biggest artists and The Cure and she just, Clash she just The Clash has been big for a little while she just discovered The Cure so I have an inbox on Spotify that if I think there's a song Ruby might like I put it in the dad's inbox and then she'll <laughs> process the inbox once in a while and sort it out to her various playlists but she goes to me the other day is it Pictures of You is that the song by The Cure she mm-hmm. goes Dad The Cure Pictures of You I said right and uh, I said, did you notice that the vocals don't come in till like 2.30 on that song? 
And she was like, no, I was just working on stuff in my room. I didn't notice. But but what I was going to say, one of the things Miles talks about is what he calls the feeling. And uh, he's, son. he says... My son. Because my son asked me one time, he's like, Dad, have you ever heard music that is just so good that it almost makes you want to throw up? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's the like, best. Yes. So many Actually, times, yes. son. So yes. many times. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember, so I do remember... Uh, for some reason, one of the vivid memories for me was 21, 22 years old, Toyota Tercel driving nine hours from Kansas University to Fort Wayne, Indiana, where my parents lived. Air conditioning was out, but I had just taped the entire Neil Young decade box oh, yeah. set. And so I had the cassettes. And I remember I would often drive with my head in the middle of the car so I could hear the stereo spread well, <laughs> with the windows rolled up, just sweating. <laughs> And I did this for, I don't know, you know, five hours. And I'd eventually roll down the windows, cool off a little, then roll them back up and get back to it. I mean, just was obsessively into that stuff. But Miles' thing with the feeling is like, it's actually a very particular thing. And so it's always like, does this give you the feeling? Does this give you the feeling? He's like, no. Oh, there it is. You know, it's like, it's one in 20 or something. But I guess my point is just that you have to kind of permit yourself to enter into music. You have to go to it a little bit. It, it doesn't always just come to you. Some music, I, there's a Wynton Marsalis quote on the jazz documentary by Ken Burns. He says, the great music won't come to you. You have to go to it. Beethoven's not coming to you. You got to go to Beethoven. Duke Ellington's not coming to you. You got to go to Duke Ellington. So I do think there is, that's the listening better part of it, right? But part of what I think is in that is saying, how do I have to posture myself to experience this in a way that's enriching? and then try to go there. I've been listening to a lot of instrumental music lately. There's this guy Nils Fromm, who's a pianist, kind of minimalist, piano and synth stuff. And and that stuff's just sprawling and sparse. Um, Philip Glass is another one I've been listening to lately a lot. And that stuff is just, it requires a whole different kind of thing as far as how you listen to it. Oh, it's a long hard road with a good, good end. If I keep on walking past the crooked bend I will meet my maker, I will meet my friend Down a long, hard road with a good, good end So you're teaching at Lipscomb? Yeah, so we co-taught a singer-songwriter ensemble at Lipscomb University last semester and the ensembles are the performing group so it was, it was a group of singer-songwriters and it was really a cool class, and then it got cut short by the oh, okay. pandemic. But um, I pretty much finished, by contrast, the songwriting two class that I was teaching, and that was really that was a blast. It just uh, I think because of like I mentioned earlier, you know, like Lori's always had this sort of natural thing, and I've always had to work at the theory to understand how to how to create these things that can do certain musical effects. I didn't understand. I didn't naturally understand how to get there. And so theory was a big stepping stone for me to get to certain things. So I love teaching that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and also lyrics, just that piece of it, which I'm discovering in the songwriting class setting is something that you actually have to kind of go back to over and over because it's hard. It's hard for people to get and it's reiterative The process of learning how to write good lyrics. You have to just keep coming back to certain simple principles and say watch out for this watch out for that and you know it's been fun for me to learn (laughs) from him teaching (laughs) because there's a lot of stuff that i missed because i just 
Yeah. Partly because I didn't go to school for it. And, right. And secondly, because I think I floated on just kind of getting by, but it's been really great to watch him teach and be a part of it too. Yeah. It's been, and you love it. So. I really, really it like it. Fun. it. I mean, I hope I can turn it into the full-time thing or the kind of the base part of what I do for a living. At this point, we thought we were done with the conversation. I stopped recording and we just started chatting, but very quickly we revved right back up around the subject of young people coming up in today's creative economy. I asked them if they had any specific advice for students or any young developing artists, songwriters, or producers who are trying to find a path in these confusing days. This is what they had to say. One of the big things to think about is like expand things the things do. that you that you can do and that you're interested in and don't be shy about touting those in the context of work situations. So if you can build a website, if you can engineer things, if you're a good programmer in logic, if you as in the audio DAW and logic or whatever, or if you can score strings or if you can, it's like whatever that is sharpen each of those tools because it's the aggregate of those things that that makes it possible for you to stay in creative workspaces throughout the course of your life right and um i mean for for me it's ended up being writing poetry writing songs producing records writing musicals eventually then writing plays now writing television so it's like all this whole suite of things that i can (laughs) you you paint i do yeah i do that's that's the most hobby-ish of all of them, but yeah. But even that turns... He has a lot of energy. But that even turns into Kickstarter rewards or merch that you sell. Like, right. it's still yep. something that... Absolutely. And yeah. I've been telling students for a while that all of that goes into the matrix that makes you valuable, you know? And so you can yes. either be doing creative things that each contributes a little bit to the bottom line, or you can go get a job that pays the bills and then do creative stuff on the side. But if you can really discipline yourself to think about all of those different things, you might be able to hobble together a career doing nothing but creative stuff, but you're not going to spend much time watching television. You're not going to spend much time, you know, it's not a nine to five kind of life. It is not for the lazy. Yeah. I will, I kind of in keeping with this and also going back to when you asked about why are there not as many women producers? Um, I also think there is this, what you're talking about, Don, of being assertive and assuming that there's a way to humbly assume that you're the person for the job Mm -hmm. while still being humble about it. Um, that I think a lot of women were not taught to do We've watched as so many guys kind of assume, even though their qualifications are not any more than ours, and, you know, I say that quote-unquote ours. Um, I don't necessarily feel this way. But anyway. Uh, it doesn't have to be us versus them, and yet what it you're saying is, it's, yeah, I but, get you. But a lot of women assume, well, I'm not quite ready for that. And I know that's a trope, too, but it really is true. A lot of women assume I don't have enough skill, and a lot of guys assume they do. And so... Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Just assume you can get the job done yeah. and go for it. Right. And you were elsewhere, like you always were, till you tumbled into make a scene. And then you came in, raised your gavel up, ladies and gentlemen, let the court convene. All these years I've been 
My secret for a long time has been almost always say yes and then figure out how to right. do what you need to do. How to do it. Yes. And yeah. Right. Where That's do I totally get off true. with that? Well, it's because I've just been empowered to do that. I've been enabled to do right. that. There's something about me right. where people trust that I can pull it off and I have some results. I can go back and point to things I've done in the past. There's an advantage there. And I don't think there's right. any reason that women shouldn't be allowed to do that. But we do yeah, have some structural biases against that where a woman trying to have that same exact posture that I have will be perceived negatively. And that's just not fair. It's the same thing I go back to when I say, I watched you at Cornerstone and I went, dang, that girl can rock. Mm -hmm. What is it about me right. that it's, that's so surprised? Well, it's just, right. it's just sure. prejudice. It's just, it's just sure. stupid prejudice. Like there's no reason that, that a girl can't rock. I'm just not used to seeing yeah. it. And that's why it right. stands out. So there's an opportunity right now, I think, for women yeah. in that space to just rush in and take over. There's so right. few people in that space that if you just say, yeah. I belong there, I have something to offer, I have the skills, and then you start to have some success. You've got to have some, you got to be good at what you're doing, yeah. you know, but. Another thing I'd advise young people to do is just keep a list. Anything you work on, put it on a list on a Google Doc somewhere. It's called a resume or a CV. <laughs> uh, and, and it's just like, here are the projects I've worked on. Here are the people I've co-written with. Here are the whatever, all that stuff. Just keep a list because the more you do that, when you give that stuff to other people and they go, oh, wow, now I'm taking you seriously. You don't have to be cynical about that because most of us do it. It's, if you don't know somebody and you look at, oh, they've worked with the following people, that tells you, oh, that, they're pretty legitimate, I guess, right? right? Like, The other thing I'd say is it was very sweet of you to all men to say that we humbly uh, say that we can do it. I would say don't worry so right. much about the humility part because not all... Oh, I'm not saying men do that. I'm just saying there is a way, if you were concerned about that, yeah. there's a way for a person to go ahead and assume they can do a job while also maintaining a certain amount of openness to how can I do this job the best I can instead of being cocky. Yeah, know? and I guess what I would say is if you're concerned about that, try not to be concerned about it. I think sure, that's the I way I'd that. say it because I think if you're concerned about not being cocky, you're probably going to come off less cocky. And, and it, it takes a kind of a, a almost an overcorrection to say, I deserve to be in this room. I can do this thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think I of some of that, these social interactions that happen around this stuff as a high dive a lot of times. I just tell myself, all I got to do is get off the board. The gravity takes care of the rest. doesn't matter if your heart's in your throat. Once you get off the end of that board, you're going to hit the water, you know, with a belly flop or a swan dive, but you'll get there. So I feel like sometimes all you have to do is say that moment on the phone with your artist friend that you've always wanted to produce, say, just get the words out. Hey, I'd love to work together as in a production capacity with you sometime and then wait for, to see what happens. Right. I, I, that's the one thing I've noticed is that it's surprising how many people respond to just simply the suggestion of a possibility. It's like, oh, you know why I've discovered is because as an artist, I know, oh, that makes me feel good. You must like my music enough to think you should reach out to me about producing.
One last thing to add. When you said the thing about there's not a lot of room for women to do these kinds of things because they are perceived as bossy or whatever, um, or demanding or whatever, um, I totally agree with that. And the other thing that I would encourage women to do is to kind of overlook it as much as you can in the moment and just push through because sometimes it's not that just people can be real jackasses um, to anybody, but there also are, yeah, they're equal opportunity. Jackasses yeah. Right. Sometimes, um, yeah. But also what's the point? I mean, all you can do is just do a great job. That's where I do love Chrissy Hine. She kind of talks about that a lot where she's just like, I've never tried to be a feminist. She um, says, I, I've never even tried to be a woman in the industry. Yeah. Just tried to be just in the industry. Thing. Yeah. So, right. There's an aspect of that that I, I do like. I don't think that's everything. Uh, there's real stuff going on. So, but. In light of that, let me say one, if I can, say one other thing. I would encourage young men, it's good to kind of recognize when you think that kind of thought, like a girl guitar player or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, It's good to kind of just become aware of when you're thinking those things, that that might not be a good starting point. And to kind of um, press yourself into a kind of shutting up and listening and saying, what am I not hearing here? Because I think one of the realities of men and women working together is if there's a different approach, sometimes you're at sea with each other's aesthetic. Like you don't have any reference point. There's so many times in our history together where Lori's going for something and I just don't understand it. If you had given me the finished product, I would have loved it the way that I work, I don't understand how to get from here to there and it's disorienting and the better thing to do than to try to conform it to a way that I can understand, the better thing to do is just take my hands off and, and to say, what can I learn from this about how this stuff works? I just want to say that that is a very common, I know we're supposed to be done, but that is a very common thing we females actually talk about, uh, especially in engineering and, and production the few conversations I've had with other women. That is the thing we have discovered why women are hiring us more is because women do things sometimes this one way and men do things sometimes this other way. And because the industry has been all men, there is a standard way of doing it that everybody thinks is the right way. And now there's a bunch of women who are upsetting that apple cart and, and making people realize, oh, you can have windows in your mastering studio mm -hmm. um, and it's not a problem. You still are winning awards for your excellent mastering. <laughs> and women sometimes take more time to be quiet in the process. And that's okay too. There are a number of things that we can all learn. There's a lot of things I've learned from men about how, uh, how to do things as well. Like there's a lot of organization and a lot of you know, label your damn files, mm -hmm. uh, right. <laughs> um, that is great. So we can learn from each other, but I think that's where younger men can take some time and just observe and take in that there are good things they can learn from the way women do things. There's also just masculine energy and feminine that's, energy, yeah, which we all have both of, right? There is the kind of charge forward, assert yourself energy, the quote unquote masculine, and there's the receive and nurture energy, quote unquote feminine, right? And it's good for all people, both genders, to, yeah. uh, or any gender setup you got it going on, to, to be able to do both those things <laughs> and 
I will say it's one of the tricky things about the nature of sort of identity right now is that it's actually a healthy and beneficial thing to be able to name some of these kind of forces that are at work within us and to deliberately choose, I'm going to embrace this part of myself and this part of myself. In the privacy of your own heart, mind, soul, and strength, acknowledge these different kinds of energies that exist within you and learn to know when you're in one or the other, right? Like learn to know when you're pushing and you should be receiving kind of a thing. That kind of thing I think is really important. And I would say also, just by the way, tying back to the record tandem, I think that was part of what we were trying to do was just learn to switch our own energies back and forth better. I would agree. so thankful for Don and Lori taking so much time and being so enthusiastic with the sharing of their wisdom and hearts here. I love that we kept thinking that we were done and they kept saying just one more thing. They care deeply about lives well lived and they care about you and that means a ton to me. As I climb up on my soapbox, I'm contemplating this word tandem and the awesome themes and energies on this new Waterdeep record. As these two artists wrestle and dance and push and pull, we see and hear how that kind of energy can actually take us somewhere. It can be generative. They are in it together, though they're not the same. And another thing that really strikes me about this conversation in particular and the new Waterdeep music, but also the decades of output I have seen from Lori and Don is their very adult representation of love. Their love songs, the way they speak to and about each other, don't feature the sweep-you-off-your-feet love of romance movies, greeting cards, and most pop songs. They often focus on the 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. Love that is patient, kind, not jealous, doesn't brag, and isn't arrogant. And I'll admit, I'm desperate to see more of that kind of love in the public square, because most places I look these days, especially religious places, I see impatience, unkindness, jealousy, bragging, arrogance, the opposite of the love Paul talks about here. I see childishness. I fell in love with music and artists that were just a little over my head, a little beyond me. I was almost never into the kind of music kids my age liked. Somehow, I suspect by latching onto music made by interesting adults, I started to want to be an interesting adult. I wanted to emulate some of these people. In part one of this episode, we listened to Buddy and Julie Miller, and they are definitely people who have inspired me. Musically, of course, but more than that. In them, I see a deeper, truer, 1 Corinthians kind of love lived out. I want to be like that when I grow up. 
Later in that passage, Paul says that when he was a child, he spoke, thought, and reasoned like a child, but when he grew up, he put away childish things. Then he says that we can't really see anything clearly now. It's as if we're looking through a darkened glass, but someday we will see face to face. We only know in part now, but then we will know in full, just as we are fully known. And he promises us that these three things will remain as we pursue these, faith, hope, and love. I don't know about you, but I've read that and said that so many times that it has almost lost its meaning. But what could we possibly use right now more than faith, hope, and love? That's the holy kind of adulting that we need more of around here, in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, in our music, everywhere. All right, I'm climbing off my soapbox now. I want to thank Don and Lori Chaffer again for spending so much time with us and lending us so much heart and soul so transparently. Their new album is Tandem, and it is available right now at waterdeep.com. There you will also find their solo work, side projects, books, visual art, merch, and a whole lot more. Thanks again, as always, to Phil Keggy and Rex Paul for the special instrumental mix of Full Circle they allow us to use as our theme song. And thanks to Bruce Brown, my good friend and co-conspirator here who sits in the editing booth making this all sound so good. We will credit all of the rest of the music on the show notes page at truetunes.com. Everything in the True Tunes podcast is protected by U.S. copyright law and is the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at truetunesmusic at gmail.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee, 37206. Until next time, this is JJT saying stay tuned and stay true. It felt like a little bit like we were giving an answering, an old answering machine message together. You've reached Don and Lori (laughs) Chaffer. Now that one we might. Yeah, there you go. (laughs)